And the church said, Amen. Turn to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. You know, I want to brag for just a moment on our little boys, and they're not so little anymore, they're growing up. Every Sunday at the end of communion during our offering, I love to look around this auditorium and watch our young boys go down this aisle, some faster than others, but they're excited. They got a smile on their face, and the good thing is we are training them at a young age to serve God. And I want to tell you, church, our youth, sometimes we hear people say they're the church of tomorrow. No, they're not. They are the church of right now. They're the church of today. And uh, we we got a great group of young people in this church family that are great examples to us. And I just love that we've got our little ones that are learning right now uh, the importance of serving God. You know, we've had a lot of deaths lately in this church family. And uh, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Uh, and for the, I want you to be thinking about the different families that have experienced loss. And on a personal note, Karen Ann wanted me to say this. Thank you so much for your prayers and calls and emails and Facebooks and all that. Just uh, from the grief of Carrie's grandmother this week, we had a fabulous celebration of service for her life this past week. It was cold, cold up in Oklahoma, uh, about 5 to 10 degrees up there the day that we did the service, but had a packed house in an auditorium that seats about 200. There were about 225 that were there, standing room only, uh, to pay honor and to celebrate the life of a wonderful lady. And so it was, it was a great tribute and a blessing. So I want us to bow right now and to pray, and if you can, join hands with somebody uh, around you, and let's pray as a family uh, before we study. Father, we come to you this morning, and as your word teaches us, we address you as the God of all comfort, a God who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble as well. Father, thank you for watching over us. Thank you for caring for us. And Father, for those in this church family that have experienced loss and heartache and grief over the past few weeks, I pray that they can feel your presence. And as you teach us, I pray that we can feel your presence as you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, we all struggle with things in our life, and what a comfort to know that you, our Heavenly Father, is there with us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any Dr. Seuss fans in the audience this morning? Raise your hand if you like Dr. Seuss. I see you, you're not too old or young to raise your hand to like Dr. Seuss. He dedicated himself to writing simple but sometimes very entertaining poems that use basic words that children would understand, and I'm even going to say that adults would understand. Every once in a while, Dr. Seuss would introduce 
uh, what some people would consider nonsense words, like in his poem about the Zode in the Road. How many of you have read the Zode in the Road? Not very many of you. Okay, you're going to hear that in just a moment. Now, for those who thought it was nonsense, you really, if you go back and look at it, the word Zode comes from a Greek word that meant stair step or a ladder indicating a device that people would use to get somewhere. And so with that insight, I want you to consider these words. Did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to a sign at the fork of the road? He looked one way and the other way too. The Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants. And he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot. So how will I know if I like it or not? And on the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. So in that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. <laughs> you know, the poor Zode sometimes is not the only one that has a hard time making up his mind which way to go. All of us in this room this morning, we have a choice to make, don't we? Which way will we go? Who will we serve? Last week we asked this question, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Now, Jesus calls his followers to count the cost of discipleship. Now, before we look at John 6, I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 28 to some very familiar words known as the Great Commission. And I want you to listen to these words that we have kind of used as our marching orders for years in the church and in our faith and in life. And I want you to listen to these words. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, I'm in verse 16, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to make a pretty big assumption this morning. I think when we look at the Great Commission, I think we have done really good, and I said this in my Bible class this morning, we've done really good on the baptizing part. I mean, we've got that down pat, and I'm glad. But sometimes I think where we are challenged and where we've kind of missed the road sometimes is the idea of making disciples. And I want to take it a step further too, not just making disciples, but what does Jesus say? Teaching them to obey everything. Say that word with me this morning. Everything. I'll say it louder. Come on. Everything. 
See, sometimes we like to read Scripture and we like to take the parts that really speak to us and really make us feel good. But sometimes those challenging parts, we like, ooh, man, I don't know about that. We flip that page over and we just kind of earmark it. We don't want to go back to that. Jesus says, go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So Jesus calls his followers to count the cost of discipleship. Again, a disciple is a student or one who learns, whose life is shaped by the teaching of the master. It's someone who becomes like the master in every way, adopting the values, the teachings, the attitudes, the actions, the principles. You take it all because you're a disciple and you're learning from the master teacher. And so here's what Jesus does. He calls us out of the crowd and into discipleship. Now look in John chapter 6. And I want you to look in verse 2. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples because the Jewish Passover feast was near. I mean, Jesus had developed this huge following to the point that no place in Galilee could hold him. I mean, all four of our Gospels describe this one meeting where he fed 5,000 men and not even counting women and children. You can look in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6. And after that, the people wanted to grab Jesus, and they wanted to, by force, they wanted to make him their king. And they wanted to march into Jerusalem and have this big victory parade. And I love what Jesus says next. That's when Jesus says, I don't think so, because that's not my mission. That is not what I'm going to be about. And so he and his men sailed a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the next morning, his determined fans tracked him down. And instead of feeding them breakfast, Jesus preached a short little sermon where he told them, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And the people were just bewildered. I mean, they were just amazed. Their stomachs are growling, their blood sugar levels getting low, and their mouths were watering for bread and fish. But the question is, what did I am the bread of life really mean? Look in verse 25 of John chapter 6. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, you're there, you've seen the miracles, you've punched your ticket, and you're good to go. But as far as wanting to stay and really learn what it means to be a disciple, man, that 5,000 grew right on down really quick. It's really sad. Look at verse 38. And then Jesus declared... I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Trying his best to do this teaching, and just like about the time that something is going good, look what takes place in verse 43. At this, the Jews began to, what's the word? Grumble. They began to grumble about what was said. And as the day went on, most of them quit, so to speak. And even many of the 70 disciples that Jesus had sent out as missionaries said, I don't think so. And they left. And when Jesus looked around at the end of that day, only the 12 remained. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning in verse 60. But before I read, I want to ask you another question. Are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of Jesus? Now you think of your favorite sport team right now. You go and you sit in the stands as a fan. And what do you do? You cheer them on. Come on, what else? You can talk this morning. What else? You cheer them on. You yell. You scream. You go crazy. Sometimes you even boo when they don't do what you want them to do. I mean, there's all these mixed emotions. You're a fan, but you're in the audience and you're observing from a distance. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower? See, a fan observes. A fan says, man, look at what Jesus is doing. Look at what Jesus did here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what does a follower do? A follower says, you know what, I may not know what all this means for my life, I may not know all the implications of it, but I'm ready to take up the cross, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to follow. I'm all in. Church, I ask you this morning, are we all in, or are we just playing a game? Are we all in, or are we just going through the motions? Are we a fan? Or are we a follower of Jesus? You see, a follower sticks to it. A follower says, no matter what the teaching is, I'm all in. I'm on board. And so if you're all in and you're on board, sometimes when you look at Scripture and you look at teachings about Jesus, sometimes he demands that we change who we are. We change our lives. Wow. Boy, we were all in until we had to make a change, weren't we? How you talk, how you walk, how you dress. Ooh, now I'm really going to step on some toes, aren't I? Not me, it's Jesus. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Because when you are a follower of Jesus, you want to do everything that you can to imitate your master teacher. You want to do everything that you can to be transformed into the likeness of your master teacher. It's all about transformation. It's all about a change taking place within my life. 
Think about the zode. Think about the stair step or the ladder. You see, what Jesus wants us to do in our life and what he wants us to be, he wants us to ever be changing and growing more into the likeness of him. And so that means sometimes we've got to listen to hard teachings. We've got to listen to instructions that tell us you need to grow up. You know, sometimes we didn't like it when mom and dad looked at us and we got in trouble and they said, grow up. Well, we didn't like that, did we? Let me tell you, when you look at Scripture, I think what Jesus is saying over and over and over again, grow up. Okay, sometimes we even even hear it in this analogy, get up from the high chair and get on to something else. Okay, because when you're at the high chair, what do you do? Boy, I mean, you're in a great place because, I mean, everything is coming to you. The food, the attention, all of it, okay? And if you don't get it when you want it, what do you do? Well, you start banging and you bang louder and louder and louder until somebody, mom or usually a grandmother, says, here you go. Sorry, grandmothers, but you do that, amen? And then you send them home to us parents to take care of the rest. That's okay. That's what grandmothers are supposed to do. Followers of Jesus are to leave the high chair and grow up. Followers of Jesus are to grow out of that cheering on for Jesus mentality and getting nitty-gritty with him with life. And as Jesus is beginning To say all of these things, he said all of this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum in verse 59. And then in verse 60, on hearing it, and I'm going to say it is the hard teaching, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And guess what? A lot of them voted with their feet and said, not me. And they left. But not the 12. The 12 stayed. And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, they, you can, they're still grumbling, but at least they stayed, right? Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Look at verse 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Let's read that again, church. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit. The words I've spoken to you are not just spirit. They are life. And yet there are some of you who still do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say... 
This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. You see, as the teaching gets harder and harder, what happens to the people? Gets fewer and fewer, doesn't it? Teaching gets harder. Not growing. They can't accept it. And they're really no different than we are because we don't like change, do we? Because if, you know, if I'm standing right here and this is where I'm comfortable and Terrence is saying, I need you to come to me, my goodness, Terrence gets the good end of the stick because he doesn't have to move. But what do I have to do? I've got to take a step. I've got to move. And when I take a step, I may have to take a change and make a change in my life. And so Jesus says, come to me. And so as we come, the closer we get, the more we realize, oh my goodness. Look at how much I really need Jesus. You realize that? The closer you get to them, your eyes are open and you realize, man, why have I stayed at a distance far too long? Why have I not come to you sooner? It's there every day for us. We have to make a choice. We're going to make that step. Are you a fan or a follower? So verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Go back to the Zode. As he's put to the test, he begins to realize when you're looking at the choice of where to go, the question is, is there really another choice? Is there really another one? No. Not that's going to give spirit. Not that's going to give life. And so the Zod couldn't go. Didn't go. He had a decision to make. And he chose not to do it. What will you and I choose? And here's the deal. The choosing is not just today. The choosing is every day of life. Every day of life, I have to decide am I going to get closer to Jesus today? Or am I going to stay where it's comfortable? Am I going to get to Jesus and church? Let me tell you, even if you've got to crawl to Him, start crawling. However, you need to do to get closer to Jesus, do it. Because that's where. He wants you. Verse 69, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later 
to betray him. Now, let's look at those two for a minute as we bring this to a close. Last two that stayed with him were singled out in this text. One for his faith, one for his unbelief. Probably two of the best-known apostles, but obviously for opposite reasons. Peter and Judas. But when you look at their lives, they have more in common than what you think. Both were personally called by Christ. You realize this morning you've been called by Christ. Man, that right there humbles me. Who am I to be called? Who are you to be called? Swallow that dose of humility this morning just to realize we've been called. Both answered the call and walked with Jesus every day for those three years. Both were leaders among the men. Now, Peter was a spokesman, obviously. Judas was the treasurer. And when so many others turned away, both men stayed with Jesus. They stayed with him all the way through that last supper at Passover. And so from all appearances, they looked like disciples. But if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, you remember this phrase? The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'm going to say one man had the heart of a disciple and the other did not. So what is the heart of a disciple? Because remember, all the way throughout the gospel teachings, it boils down to this. Jesus says, when I've got your heart, I've got you right where I want you. Okay? That's paraphrasing. When I've got your heart, it's all I need. Because when he has your heart, he has it all. Everything. So where's your heart this morning? And so you look at Peter and Judas, and you look at some of the things that they did in their lives. Judas was out for himself. He wanted status and power. But you look at it, Peter wanted status and power too. And he, along with the others, argued over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Judas failed to understand the purpose of Jesus but Peter didn't understand it either. Both of them thought that Jesus would overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom where they could rule with him. I mean, they're going to be his partners. Jesus called Judas a devil in verse 70. Then over in Matthew chapter 16, you remember Jesus also says the same thing to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Peter denied Jesus three times. Do, do we ever deny Jesus? If, you don't want to go there, do you? Do we, have we denied him more than three times? Oof. Really don't want to ask that question, do we? Judas felt remorse and threw the 30 silver coins on the floor. 
And then he went out, hung himself. Peter repents with tears. And later he's reconciled with Jesus. But you know the difference between Judas and Peter? At their time of greatest crisis, Judas turns to himself and Peter turns to Christ and lives out his days with him. Now, were either one of those men good enough to be a disciple? No. Are you and I good enough to be a disciple? No. But he calls us. And when we answer with a spirit of humility to give ourselves heart and soul to Jesus, that's what qualifies us. When we say, I give up, and I'm all in, and I want to follow you, that's what makes us worthy, is that broken heart. That humble spirit that says, the flesh here, I'm realizing daily, counts for zilch. And it's the spirit that he left us. You realize he didn't have to leave his spirit. But aren't you glad he did? Because everywhere we walk and talk, his spirit goes with us. Have you reached a turning point in your life? Are you tired of just sitting on the sidelines and cheering them on and being a fan. Get in the boat. Be a follower. Even when you don't know where the boat's going, it's okay. Because the captain, the captain is the greatest captain of ever. The king of kings and the lord of lords. And you're here today because God saw fit in his plan to give up his best for you. And knowing that he gave his best for you, in return, what he asks us to do is just follow him. Will you do that? Let's stand and sing.